Hi everyone, this is Kara Orbell, your host of Going Places, and today I'm talking to Diana Del Becky. She's a really good friend of mine, and she is a huge member of the Green Bay community. She's amazing. Um, she is the former assistant director for the St. Norbert Gap Experience, which I was a part of. She started uh, United Resisters, which is a nonprofit for Somali women in the Green Bay community, and she um has a really interesting story she graduated uw uwgb and she um got her master's in ireland in human rights and gender globalization gender and globalization Ooh. so we're gonna have a lot to talk about that was kind of a mouthful but thank you for being on the show thanks for having me kara yeah so let's start kind of with how are you doing now what are you up to now because i have really haven't seen you in a I while know. we haven't seen each other <laughs> in a while i'm doing great um i think you know it depends on the day that you probably ask anybody living through uh this pandemic but today i'm doing great <laughs> um you know I, I feel like i'm i'm getting through it i you know there are better days than others but uh today's a good one Awesome. So right now you're working at the Green Bay Area Public Schools and you are a community schools resource coordinator? Yeah, I am. So I, I work for um, the, the one of the largest districts in the state um, and I'm the very first um, community schools resource coordinator they hired for the district. So it's a really interesting brand new role that I walked into. Um, but it has so many of the underpinnings of human rights and social justice that I love and that I have worked in my other roles. So I'm excited. I'm entering my second full year with them um, right now. And, you know, we're, we're going through some turbulent times, but it's been, it's been really interesting. <laughs> yeah. So human rights and social justice is kind of your, I can't think of the word, your vocation in life. That's kind mm -hmm. of what you've decided to do forever. I mean, when I knew you, you were, you were, storming ahead with that and from yeah. the gap experience and what made you decide kind of that that was your passion in life sure i mean i don't know if i really decided um i think it was an interesting way that i landed um with this this passion of mine um i was working right after college i graduated with a degree in psychology and i really thought i was going to do like school counseling and i ended up being hired on um, at UW-Green Bay and working there for five full years, um, serving college students in helping them get financial aid and scholarships. So I was managing a scholarship program and helping students basically fulfill their dreams of, of, of affording college. And through that work, I really got to better understand um, and navigate those systems for students that um, college is out of reach for. And it led me down the path of um, understanding how inaccessible um, college is for a vast majority of um, both citizens and non-citizens. So it really led me down working with, I worked a lot with um, the Green Bay community's uh, undocumented students in their high schools, helping them navigate um, making college affordable because they're not, uh, they're not eligible for federal financial aid. And it was because of that and the relationships I built working with students on the ground that I, I just started to question the injustice of it all. And I really started to recognize, I think, my own privilege of just being a citizen and not thinking twice about applying for financial aid and being eligible to, to receive, like, even a loan to, like, help me make the payments to go to, to school myself. And it was because of that work that I, I looked up um, 
studying further at a master's level human rights because it really led me down that path of when you're kind of at that that point of of tension of like okay they're not a citizen so where do they fall like Mm -hmm. whose whose responsibility is it to ensure they have equitable access to these institutions so that that neatly folded into the human rights framework Um, and it was because of that that i studied um, human rights at all i went in with a very narrow focus (laughs) of trying yeah it's crazy I, I, i really and then, and it's led me to where I am today. I mean, it was really, it was one of those interesting things. Like you hear, you know, it was just like a question that I just, it nagged at my heart and my soul that I was working day in and day out with students that had big dreams and were very bright and they, they will likely not be able to achieve those dreams just due to um, this, the injustice of our system. So that was, that was what got me where I am today. And it's, it's kept me, I've strayed a little bit, but for the most part, you'll see, you know, throughout my work and my life, um, the tenets of, of social justice and human rights and really the right to education and the value of education is, is pretty constant in my life. I'm still, still to this day, I, you know, I tend to ask people, one of the second things I ask them is sort of like, what do you study? <laughs> like, that's always like where my heart draws. I really, I really love education and I value it so highly that um, it kind of comes out in everything I do. That's great. Well, we should probably talk about what the gap experience is because our listeners might not know, but um, my freshman year, I participated in the gap experience, which is a, was a semester long program tier um, where we traveled to the Boundary Waters, Chicago, Albuquerque, El Paso, and Guatemala. And in Chicago, Albuquerque, El Paso, we studied social, not social justice, um, like societal, I can't think of the word. What am I, I'm blanking, like structural violence. I couldn't think of that word. We visited many nonprofits where we basically got to sit in rooms with marginalized individuals and we learned so much about what Diana is passionate about. So I basically kind of watched her kind of educate everyone and have these discourses and she kind of taught us everything we know about what she's passionate about. So it was really cool to experience it with her. And she was such an amazing leader on this program. It was great. Yeah. That, that is by far <laughs> my favorite job I've ever held. I mean, yeah. I, I can't tell you enough about like that experience for me as on the other side of it. Um, yeah. I learned so much and that when I think about those times, they seem like um, very surreal that we got to do what we did and, and, you know, to paint it for your listeners, like we embarked as a cohort of 16 students and two staff members on an entire semester long travel journey. Um, and throughout that journey, we interacted with so many community members in the various places we went to really get a dive into what life was like for, um, specific populations. And, I mean, the power of a story is, um, it's transcending and it, and it's, um, it helps us connect our empathy, right. And grow our empathy. And I, when I tell people today, like what we did on gap, I still think people cannot wrap their heads around how, um, remarkable and, and incredible that program was. And it's sad that it, it isn't here today because, um, I think today more than ever, we need programs like that 
because our students, students of all backgrounds need access to um, guided conversations into topics that we covered. I mean, we covered everything from class to race to um, citizenship rights to, you know, indigenous populations um, and, and into, you know, government interference in global affairs. Like we were, we covered the span of everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Yeah. It was amazing. I think about it every day. Well, I'm living with my roommate did the program and my boyfriend did the program. So I'm kind of living the the past because <laughs> I think about it every single day. Mm-hmm. But it was such an amazing experience. And I just think, I don't know, it's definitely interesting as a student because now when students tend to back away, I'm like, no, like, let's talk about it. Like, why aren't we talking about this? Why aren't, let's deep let's dive into it. I'm uncomfortable. Let's go. Like, bring <laughs> yes. it on. So, yes. it's so fun. And I'm so grateful for you. I don't know how many times I can say that, but you were such like a mentor for me during my experience. Cause it wasn't easy, but I mean, you kind of ran the whole show. You did the whole thing. So, Thanks. It was, yeah. it was, um, so much work, but so yeah. rewarding. I mean, every day was rewarding and you're right. Like those of us that have gone through it, um, the, the real underpinning of the entire program for your listeners to kind of get is that it was about diving, diving into uncomfortable topics, but mm-hmm. also then doing a lot of self-reflection and group reflection to really dive into our own biases and where we're at. And um, there was a great balance of, of like, where am I at in learning about some of these really tough things, but also then how do I, how do I, challenge my own thinking um and maybe also challenge my cohorts thinking or my my peers thinking about some of this and so there were lots of uncomfortable conversations right and that's um the the part where uh i think people got uncomfortable but we (laughs) we learn so much and you bond and grow in a way that um you just won't have in other types of programs yeah not even in study abroad which is Mm -hmm. crazy so do you think that, I guess you kind of answered my question, but do you think that more colleges are going to start experiential learning programs? So I hope so. I, I really think the clincher is how expensive they are, right? So we, in order to do what we did, it requires a small number of students. The ratio of student to instructor needs to be small. Um, and you really, you have to think holistically versus when you think of, college currently or even education currently it's very teacher student classroom an hour and a half lecture and then you maybe set up office hours but we were living together like the students would see me in my pajamas they would see me grouchy the next morning they would see me lose my crap one night when i was angry or upset like it was life and that is that is asking sometimes a lot of professionals, right? And a lot of our students. Um, and that's where I think when, when I wish that this was something we asked or expected more of colleges to em- engage in, I also can see the counter of the sustainability of a program like ours um, because it, it was draining. I did it for two full years um, and it was, it was draining. It, it meant my life, my own personal life was on hold for an entire semester. I was away from my family. I would miss weddings. I mean, I did miss a wedding when I was away with you guys. I would miss, um, you know, births of my friend's children I missed. And so there were, there were important milestones in my life I would miss out on. 
But I think the trade-off for me, and I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. The trade-off for me was that it was and, and will be likely the most rewarding job I'll ever have. Um, to witness the growth that our students went through every day and the cycle of that that got to go on repeat, I mean, I treasure it. I think it, it's something I wish um, more colleges took, took a minute of reflection to understand the value of what you get out of it and what your students get out of it. I mean, it changes people's lives because you change the way you look at yourself and the way you look at the world around you. And you really start to sit in your own power of what I'm capable of doing in this world, which you don't necessarily get at a traditional college. Like in, if you're not really guided in that direction, like the program did. Definitely. So I know this is a really, we had a big cohort, but did you, I wanted to ask, it's been like two years, but what was the biggest growth you've seen in me and in the cohort? Oh yeah. We had such a fun cohort. huh? <laughs> uh, I think it's easy for me to say what I saw in you. So you, you came in as, I mean, for, for your listeners to understand, this was the first semester freshman year. Like this wasn't even a chance to like get comfortable at your college. This was a, you land at college and we're off. Like you yeah. were into the, we're into the water. We're into yeah. literally the wilderness. Yeah. So <laughs> I think what always stood out about to, to me about you is how well you knew yourself coming into the program more than I think a lot of your peers, you were much more self-aware um, and able to, to like vocalize your needs. But what I saw growing you through that semester was your self-assurance. So I think you really grew in, in being able to be confident in your own abilities and in your voice. And, and that is power, right? Like that, that is where now look at you, I mean, look at all you've done since that point and the, the way that you have been able to negotiate the opportunities in front of you and take them head on um, is, is, is remarkable. And I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I wanted to ask that. I mean, I think part of the reason I started this podcast even is because of that program. Like if I didn't learn how to amplify people's voices and be a listener, I don't think I would have started any of this, which is crazy. Snaps to that, right? <laughs> yeah, That's our, I remember you even talking like about my education and just like talking to everyone, like, "What do you want to do? Like, you should figure that out. You should go." So I, mean, I just—it's my favorite thing to talk about. That's good. Even yeah, I mean, okay, like let's talk about that because I know in—I don't know if you were—I think you were a senior, but you started a program called Flight where you worked mm-hmm. with Preble and you Preble High School in Green Bay, and you you like you started it from even when you were still in school. Yeah, yeah. I, st- I started it um, as a senior in college. I, I guess I, I must always have been very entrepreneurial. I didn't really <laughs> recognize it until now I look back yeah. on my life and I, I start a lot of things just out of the blue, but um, yeah. so I did, I started flight after I met with some students. I was tutoring students at the high school and through conversations um, with not the ones I was tutoring, but peers of theirs that would walk past um, during like, you know, they would take a lunch or a, a bathroom break or whatever, and they would end up passing by and they would stop and ask me questions about college. And I, I would ask them like, well, don't you have anyone in your life, you know, to ask about this? And they'd be like, no, I, ne- I don't know anyone who's gone to college. And then I went back to our, our tutoring program and I was like, I really think we need to have more tutors because some of the, like, I have a whole handful of kids that keep talking to me 
and they need advice or they want my opinion or they just don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but they don't, they're doing okay academically, but can't we just have a mentor or somebody available? And we didn't have anybody. And so it led me to really um, try to think strategically about, okay, well, I don't mind staying late after school one day. And I just started doing some um, very bottoms up work of just talking with the teachers and talking with the principal and with the students and said like, listen, I will make myself available every Wednesday after school for an hour if you want to come and talk with me. And so we were able to get a room at the high school and it, it was remarkable when we met the very first day um, and, and 20 some kids showed up. I think I left that day just blown away by these high schoolers dedication from freshmen to seniors that came in and they were like, yeah, this is the first time I'm, I'm actually like meeting somebody and being able to have a conversation with somebody who who's in college. Mm-hmm. And they had all sorts of very basic questions about like, will I be able to handle college? What does a college textbook look like? What is a college class? Like, so we just started building that and we brought in lots of guest speakers that were either college students or professors or local community members and just started having discussion and dialogue. And we ran that program. So I started it in 2010 and it ended in 2015. So I ended up moving. So after I graduated, it turned into an internship. So the school, um, Future Phoenix took it on as a specific internship for, for um, psychology students at UW-Green Bay. So then I got, to in, I got to mentor the interns that took over the role I created, wow. and I got to oversee the program go through changes for, for five years. It was, it was really powerful, and I stay connected to a lot of my flight students. Oh. Um, and it's just, it was a really neat program, and I'm really proud of, like, what we did, because now... Um, the Green Bay District, the Green Bay Public Schools, has, has actually partnered with Green, um, UW Green Bay and NWTC, and they created specific roles that actually embed college um, admissions officers into the high schools. All of the high schools in Green Bay have them now. Hmm. And they're specifically there to do exactly what I was doing at Preble before. They are meeting with kids, talking about options, talking about financial aid, talking about what a college like class looks like. They're helping them get all that information as early on as possible. And they have an office set up in the high schools now because that wasn't there before. And so now it is. And so now there's no need for the program that I had started, which is why it ended in the, in 2015. But it's, it's awesome to see how much the community is now mobilized around that need and recognizing we need, we need to have, um, have, have representatives available to offer this information to these students. Um, and, yeah. and it's not a, I don't want to use the word partisan, but like it's not a biased thing. Like the NWTC and UWGB advisors are not there to represent those schools. They're actually paid to be there to just represent college in general and to help navigate. So if that kid wants to go to Brown University, that, that academic support and that um, mentor is there to help them. That's awesome. uh, it's, it's really cool. And I, yeah, yeah I, I had a, a great time running it. And like I said, I still, I still hear from some of my flight students who are now really old. <laughs> One wow. of them has her master's degree. Uh, oh and it's God. just crazy. I know. Isn't yeah, that crazy? That's amazing. No, I feel like you take, like you see something that needs to be fixed, but you take action. And I think that's one of the biggest attributes that you have that a lot of people don't have because like some people can be like, oh yeah, that needs to be fixed. But you're like, I'll fix it. Like, let's do it. And then it just kind of gets better from there, which is crazy. 
Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it gets better, but <laughs> I try. No, it does. It definitely does. And even let's talk about United Re Sisters because if you don't know, Green Bay has a big Somali population. And I didn't know that before going to college here, but how did you get involved with that? I mean, you're all over the place. Yeah. You know, I just, I, I tend to like insert myself in things and then I just am like a, a, a clingy bug. I like never leave. Yeah. <laughs> I just keep, keep um, uh, bothering people. But I, I got really lucky with this one. Like this, this was just, I, I can't, I can't help but like, equate it to just like this cheesy follow your heart type of BS sometimes because I actually was in a really bad place personally. I had just returned to the US um, after working in a refugee camp abroad. And Which we will talk about. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, uh, but just foreshadowing here, I was not in a good space mentally. Um, I obviously had quit my job. I quit my full-time job to go to study my master's program. So I came home um, after two years didn't have a job. I wasn't allowed back into Greece because of the requirements, uh, the Schengen agreement visas. I had already overstayed my visa in order to work so long. And long story short, I come home and I am just like devastated. I'm just devastated that I've left um, friends and colleagues behind in this refugee camp. And I am like lost looking to figure out how I can um, utilize the skills I've, I've gained over the last few years of my master's program and put them to use in my own community. And so I actually um, got hooked up with a friend of mine who worked at the district. And he said, listen, Diana, like, I know that you just got back from doing this work abroad. Um, but here's where like, I could see you really benefiting our community is we have this young group of, of young Somali women in particular that were struggling with helping them on the path to education. And I mean, that, how perfect was that? Because like, if he would have asked me for anything else, if he'd be like, we're really struggling with, you know, getting them to the doctors. I'd be like, oh, that's not my specialty. But you like, probably that, still do it though. You probably, like, like, probably okay. still would have. But like, <laughs> this was my like niche. Yeah. I was like, okay, I can do this. So I just started um, applying what I have learned and I started making relationships and building, um, building that foundation that needed to happen and um, having a little bit of an understanding of, of Muslim culture from the work I was doing, I was able to at least have a little bit of an advantage, I think. And I also had no agenda, really. I had no idea what I was trying to do. I just needed um, to find a place for myself as well. So I started attending the diversity club meetings that were happening at East High School. And I started to get to know these young women and it took, I think maybe like a few months. I started maybe meeting with them in February and we started meeting um, on our own outside of school in, I think April is when we had like the end of April is when we had our very first meeting. It was, this was in 2007 or 2007. 2017. 2017. Okay. I was yeah. like, wait, years. I'm lost. No, <laughs> 2017. Okay. Um, the refugee crisis hadn't even happened in 2007 yet. But okay. uh, so it was 2017 and I, I just went every, I think it was like Tuesday night after school. And I would just hang out at this diversity club meeting, get to know the, the young women, play some games. And, and basically through that, I just offered, um, I said, listen, I'm willing again, again, it's apparently the only, it makes it sound so simple, but it is, it's honestly just creating space. Right. And I think we, we've talked about this a lot in gap is, um, 
it's, it's creating that opening. And so I just offered, I said, listen, I'm, um, I'm willing to meet with you. Um, I think it was Wednesday nights we met too. <laughs> Wednesday, Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights are where everything happens. But <laughs> I just was like, listen, I'll be, I'll make myself available. If you think that this is worth your while, I would be willing to meet with you. We can have a safe space that's female only because um, I wanted it to be really about female empowerment and I wanted it to be a safe space. So we were, we started meeting. And again, I think I was blown away the first meeting we had where all the young women were like, yeah, absolutely. I'll come. And they came, they walked Aww. from East high school to our meeting spot at the art garage. And it was from there. We went from there. We met every week, um, for, for like almost a full two years. We don't, wow. meet, we don't meet weekly now, but that's really because all the young women have graduated high school and they're off at college and, um, they, they don't need to meet weekly anymore. Like we, we've established really strong friendships and now we just stay in touch. And we, we got together on zoom, um, I think last Friday and we just had a blast and it's so, it's so wonderful to see them. So we, we started it with what them in high school. Mm -hmm. And we really just started to get to know one another. And um, it was, again, more about introducing them to influential community members, um, letting them, you know, get to know one another. Because the other assumption I had kind of made wrongly was that all of these young women, because they were all of, of Somali background, were all friends. Mm -hmm. And that was not the case. They, they will tell you, um, they attribute the group to the reason why they are such strong friends. So wow. even though they were from similar backgrounds, they of course um, didn't know one another that well either. And so this mm -hmm. group gave them this chance to build some sisterhood among them. Um, and now they are each other's best friends and they are really close and um, they've already achieved so, so much. I mean, they're all in college doing incredible things. And, you know, we wrote a book, which is also just amazing. Yeah, was that published? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it got published last summer, 2019, yep. And uh, we went on a big speaking tour last summer, like all around Green Bay, and they got to um, really introduce themselves to the community. And I mean, when you, so what I can just tell you, like when we first met, the first like four meetings we had, I don't think anybody spoke except me. <laughs> like, well, that's okay. You can, the girls you didn't can do that speak. though. <laughs> oh, I know, right? But they didn't speak. And I remember going home and they, we all laugh at this now, but I remember going home thinking they hate me like this, like this is bad. Like I, I'm forcing them to come to this thing every week. Like I felt awful. And then it just like, but I just was like, listen, I got, I have nothing else to do. I'm just going to dedicate my time and like be fully present and just, put my heart on my sleeve. Like it's all I can do. It's all I can offer. Mm -hmm. And from there, these young women, I mean, in, in 2019, we presented and launched our book in front of a large audience at an, a book fair called Untitled Town here in Green Bay. Mm -hmm. And every single one of those women stood up and shared their story and spoke in front of wow. a large group of people. And it makes me very emotional because that was not who they were two years prior. And they will tell you that they didn't have that confidence in their English skills. They didn't have that confidence in themselves to, to be vulnerable. I mean, the, their stories that they wrote are not just, you know, fun, frilly stories. They're stories of their journey. They're stories of their families. They're stories of loss, of missing grandparents, of, of missing home and very vulnerable, raw stories that they then read in front of an audience. So 
it's a, it's incredible stuff. I mean, they're, they're, they were my lifeline. They were what brought me and gave me purpose back to my life. I think when I lost some of that. So, um, and it was through the work that I did that I landed at the gap. So. Yeah. Okay. We're all like jumbled up on time. So you started in GB and then you founded, um, flight and then you did that for a couple of years and then you got your master's in Ireland, mm-hmm. Galway, and you got your master's in gender globalization and human rights. Mm-hmm. And then you went to Switzerland to a UN conference. Mm-hmm. I totally stalked her resume. She has a website. This woman <laughs> is crazy. And if you don't know, you're a social entrepreneur. So I'm taking entrepreneurship class. That's what you're called. Okay. Yes. I have a title. <laughs> so you have a title in the business world. <laughs> oh wait, I should change my website to say that. <laughs> yeah. Are you LinkedIn social entrepreneur? Social entrepreneur. Okay. <laughs> but, um, so in Galway, then you got to study abroad from Galway, which you were already abroad. So that's mm-hmm. crazy. And then you went to Greece. Yeah. Yeah. That's an adventure. It was an adventure. It was, <laughs> It was so fun. Um, yeah, I, I had never studied abroad in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I had always dreamed of it, but I was, um, first off, I'm from a large family, so I'm one of six kids. I was the first um, of my siblings to go to college. My older sister never um, went to college, and so I was the first kind of trekking that journey for my, my younger siblings. And um, being somebody from a large family, we didn't have a lot of money. My mom was not working at the time because there were so many of us. Um, and my, you know, so we just were on one income. And so when I went to college, I worked three jobs. And I just, at that point in my life, I couldn't get my head around how I could have afforded going to study abroad. I think as an adult now, it's easier for me to look back and say, oh my gosh, how could you not have afforded that? But in reality, that was my, that was what I was dealing with. So then when I was looking to go do my master's program, um, I chose to study abroad in Ireland because I had never gotten the chance to do that. I had never been abroad at all. Um, I had never been to Europe. And so I decided, I said, I was going to take a leap of faith. If I'm going to quit my really good job that I loved, um, I'm going to do it for a really big reason. And I'm going to do it. If I'm going to go out, I'm going out with a bang. I thought, so, so I did, I quit my job and people said I was crazy. Uh, I was 27 at the time. And I was like, bye stable job that I have good benefits and a great retirement account. And I said, I got to do it. So I moved abroad and I went and I studied gender globalization and human rights. And through that job or through that um, studying, I um, got connected to nonprofit organizations. And at the time, the, the height of the European refugee crisis was going on. It was 2015 then. And it was heartbreaking to be in Europe and so close to the horrific images of um, Alan Kurdi washing up on the shore of Turkey mm-hmm. and, and seeing boats um, fall apart and fall onto shore in Greece and not be able to go, like, go do anything because we were busy studying. Mm-hmm. So immediately after I graduated with my master's, I, um, I took a position at a, a small nonprofit. It's a Swedish nonprofit. And I went and I worked um, and I moved to Greece and I stayed there. Um, all in all, I was there from October to January, and then I went back for um, a few months. So I, in total, it was about six months that I was there, but it was, a, it was broken up between two stints. So. 
Yeah. And you worked in education there too. You worked in youth education and access research. Yeah. So let's talk about that. I mean, of, of course. course, education. I know. I can't get away. I love helping people get to college. It's yeah. that is my passion. I love wow. that so much because I love college. I think college opens doors <laughs> in a way that um, you don't understand until you get there. And that's why I think it's so important to help people get there. So um, why I was hired and why they brought me on is because the big um, like issue that a lot of nonprofits were dealing with was with the Syrian crisis in particular, we saw a huge rise in youth refugees. So 30% of all of Greece's refugees were between the ages of 16 and 25. Wow. I mean, that is unheard of when you look at former refugee crisis. I mean, they were on their own, oftentimes escaping um, inscription in Syria. And so, and they were often men. Um, and so the nonprofits really didn't know how to deal with that particular group of um, age group because they, they needed help figuring out their path forward. And so yeah. I was brought on to really help navigate, okay, if you're here in Greece, what are your options? You know, if you wanted to study, because in the Greece system, in, 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 in Greek um, education, at the age of 15, you are not required to go to school anymore. So it's pretty much you're a senior, you're, even though that would be freshman year for us, mm -hmm. it's considered basically senior year of high school for them. And anything above the age of 15 is non-required. And okay. as a result, none of the refugees after the age of 15 were allowed into the Greek education system. So they were stuck all day at a refugee camp with nothing to do. Oh my gosh. Which is horrible. Yeah. And, and so we developed English classes and we developed computer classes and we developed um, a journalist class, like a journalism class and, um, and all sorts of different activities to occupy the residents' times, but also to work them towards um, some proficiency and some skill building that would help them build a resume and get them when they landed in their next country um, with the, with the um, UN's help, they would then have some skills to potentially get a job or potentially then be able to go to college um, because college really wasn't accessible to um, refugees that were in Greece, but they could access online courses. So we also helped them explore online courses. So it was a lot of just helping uh, the students that we were working with navigate the restrictions, unfortunately, um, and helping to provide things that they wanted to do to keep them engaged and keep their spirits lifted. I mean, a lot of that is like they, a lot of them were in college already in Syria and had mm -hmm. to leave their college studies. Um, and that, I mean, can you imagine like you're a junior right now and if the world went to shit and you had to flee, like you don't have a degree. So then you go to your next place and you don't really have anything to show for it. And that was where a lot of these students were. A lot of them had already had a year or two of college and they were desperate to get back to studying. Um, and so we organized things like um, a, a college donation drive, uh, like textbook drive. So we had people from all across Europe that donated different textbooks, like introduction to accounting or introduction to psychology. And that way we had a library of textbooks and yes, they were in English, but at the very least there was some, like something that could help bridge some of that learning. Um, so we did a lot of different, different things like that, but it was a, it was a very exciting role. I mean, you can't, when you're in that kind of situation, similar to gap, you end up 
building very, very strong relationships. So yeah. Yeah. all your roles seem exciting. You have a very exciting life. <laughs> it's very, hey, it's nothing if, it, if it's not exciting, right? Yeah, definitely. So is that your introduction to travel then when you decided to get your master's? Were you like, I'm going to do it. Screw it. Like, let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then, then fallen in love with it. Exactly. And then I never looked back. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. I was 27 years old when I first traveled to Europe abroad. Like I had never been, I had never been on a flight that long in my life. And I went alone. <laughs> was that your first I was flight? Terrified. Alone too? Were you all like, was that your first flight you've ever flown on by yourself? No, it was my okay. first it was my first transnational flight. I had never flown long like that ever. Crazy. That's awesome though. That's good though, because it shows like you can do at any, any age. Oh yeah. I felt super empowered. Although I did cry pretty much the entire way to Ireland. And then I remember landing in Ireland and I remember thinking, I don't think I made the right choice. <gasps> oh my gosh. I feel like that happens though. Like when I, when I hopped off the plane in Spain, I, my host mom was late. So I was like ringing her bell and I was like, oh my God, I'm in the city. I've never lived in a city. I was freaking out. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the best part of travel because you look back and you're, you're so comfortable with where you were living and what you were doing. You're like, oh yeah, I'm a pro. It's fine. Yeah, you grow so quick. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, you can, you can look back two days before and be like, oh my gosh, I, why did I think that? Like you see yourself just transforming. And I just, mm-hmm. I love that about travel. Yeah. It's crazy. And even your job on Gap, you got to watch kids get an education and travel. And I got to travel to places I had <laughs> never been to. Like, keep yeah. in mind, I had never been to Guatemala. Like mm-hmm. I got to go to Guatemala because of this program. And now I just, I mean, I loved Guatemala. Yeah. <laughs> and I still, t- like as things are right now we can't travel but like as as things open up and slowly i mean it's on our like list my family and i like we are like we have to go to guatemala like i want to show them guatemala (laughs) oh that's amazing yeah so where is that your next place once everything opens up i hope yeah we were supposed to go to costa rica i had a trip planned to go the week week after everything shut down so i missed missed my trip to costa rica That's tough. That's tough. But no, I mean, yeah. who knows? If we're allowed to travel, I, I think Guatemala is the next place because I really want to um, I really want to introduce it to my friends and family. Like, mm-hmm. I got to experience it with all of you guys. Yeah. Um, but, like, now when I talk about it, I forget. I, like, look around and I'm like, oh, none of these people went with me. <laughs> they yeah. They don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I'm like, you guys got to go. We gotta well, if you ever need a guide, there. I'll come with. <laughs> you need a translator. I'll translate. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah no. It's. I mean, when you think of stuff we did there, I just I get blown away that we hiked a volcano. We slept on the top of it. Like we just did. <laughs> we roasted marshmallows in a volcano. Like it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, but I, and even New Mexico. I had never been to New Mexico before. We traveled there together. Mm-hmm. And again, New Mexico is now on one of my top favorite lists. I loved yeah. our time there. I, yes. I loved the interaction we had with the different community members. I really liked, um, how large of a presence the Pueblo people have and the yeah. integration, like our interaction with the, um, native health, um, what was it called? Native health impact or native health initiative. Native health like, initiative. Yeah. Like their ability to weave those, um, principles of indigenous people 
into health and into well-being. I just, I really loved it. And I I speak very highly when I tell people where they should go. I'm like, go to Albuquerque. Yeah. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. I mean, even the balloon fiesta. Yeah. When you're watching the like balloons flying up in the air for class. I know. It's magic. For real. It's crazy. It's cool. Um, I mean, we did some, we did some really cool stuff. We did things that you could never experience, like people never experience in their lifetime, mm-hmm. which is yeah. amazing. And I, that's why I'm, I'm such a huge proponent of experiential learning. And actually a person I had on the show got her master's in experiential learning. And I was like, oh my gosh, like we have so much to talk about. Because From I'm, where? Oh, I can't, I probably UW-Madison. Her name is Laura Colbert. So nice. yeah, you should read her book. She's a veteran too. So she's crazy. She's amazing. amazing. That's incredible because that is, that's, I think that is that secret sauce. I really feel that experiential Mm -hmm. learning um, is that secret sauce that like we need in our lives Mm -hmm. right now. But just when we think about building leaders of our future, like that's how we do it is we need to go out there and have the learning and have the, the theories and everything that we're learning about from classroom but have it applied in real life and see how it translates. I think it builds, like when I think about policymakers, I think of how, how many policies fall deaf because they're not, they don't ever really realize how it looks in people's real lives. Like we were, we were out there talking with people and hearing and then being able to then go back to the classroom and study and see how that policy directly influ- influenced this group of people in yeah. this place and oh my gosh, if only we would have known. And it just, to me, feels like it helps that lightning bulb go off so much faster for kids um, mm-hmm. and for students just to be able to see it in real time um, yeah. and know that, that those things don't always, that outcome does not always have to be the outcome. That we have the, we have the, the chance and, and really the um, tools already to fix it. Like, yeah. So that's my, I would love to see it become more regular and, and really a lot of, so my work right now is still very focused on the elementary school I serve, but overall, I think that a dream would be to Im- embed more uh, experiential learning into high schools too. I think getting students at a younger age experience yeah. with it, I mean, think of that, like taking a week and going to VOBS, like oh my with a high school class, like <laughs> That's the wilderness experience from my listeners. (laughs) That was even like so healing for me, especially I talked about this on another show, but um, I had abusive coaching in high school and I suffered from, I don't know how to call it, exercise induced anxiety. We'll we'll call it that. And even just being with a team and being able to be like, I'm not okay right now. It's 3 p.m. This is when I would have practice, which I learned. That's why I would have panic attacks at 3 p.m. I know. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Because on Bob's, I'd have a panic attack at 3 p.m. every day because that's the time of practice for volleyball. But I was with like Liv and Jacob and everyone, John and Katie and all those people on on Gap. And they would always support me during that difficult time. They'd be like, we're here for you. We're here with you, which I never, I'm literally going to cry. I knew both of us were going to cry on this, but I never had that before. So it's so magical just to have people in the experience being, we're here and we're going to help you through this. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I have chills. <laughs> yeah, it builds bridges. And you think, yeah. I mean, I look back on, on the way that high school is for most people, right? Like most, most mm-hmm. of us today could look back on our high school and, and really say like, Cringe. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a traumatic experience. Yeah. And then you think, oh my gosh, but it doesn't have to be like, if we could get kids the tools that they need, the communication tools that the Voyager yeah. Urban experience teaches you, um, yeah. and really build that solidarity at a younger age where it's not about being competitive between one another, but instead you're all on your own path and let's just support each other in making it. Like, mm-hmm. it's not about like sometimes high schoolers, like it becomes just such a deep entrenched competition among everybody and, and no one wants to be vulnerable. No one wants to be real. Um, and um, that, I mean, that be, that creates a lot of the problems that happen in high school and unfortunately in college as well. But for, for us as the lucky ones that got to do that, um, we, we circumvented a lot of what could have maybe been drama from the get-go. There was plenty of drama. Oh, there's always drama. (laughs) Yeah, but definitely, definitely. And it was so raw. We didn't have social media. We didn't have anything to compare ourselves to because we didn't even, we couldn't even see each other. I think the first time I saw a bathroom, yeah, the first time I saw a bathroom, Patrick was freaking out in the corner, like, this is what I look like, which is something people never get to experience, and it's so raw and life-changing, crazy, yeah. It is. (laughs) So true. So wild. Yeah, definitely. Okay, um, let me find another question. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we can talk about all sorts of things. I know, I know. Well, actually, I was thinking about this because I feel like in the wake of George Floyd and all of the social justice kind of events that have erupted in the past, I feel like people are having a lot of similar conversations that we had on Gap. And they're having it with their parents where they're like, this is systemic, this is happening. Here's, we're going to talk about it. Like, it's raw, it's, it's out there. We have to talk about it now. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting to watch because people are having these emotional, uncomfortable conversations and they're like, they're kind of experiencing what we experienced at first where they're like, Ooh, I don't want to talk about it. And then you yeah. grow and you experience it and you talk about it. So yeah. it's kind of powerful right now. It, it is. And I, I mean, going back to that, that question you asked me a while back about like, wh- how did our group or cohort grow? When I think mm-hmm. about it, I think about the group that we, that you were a part of, people came from all walks of life. Like we had wow. students that like yourself are an only child. We had students like Annie who are one of 12, 12. Yeah. I was like yeah. millions <laughs> and, and a twin, none other, like, which also plays, plays into things. And, and then we also had students of all classes and students of backgrounds that came from private schools, uh, elite prep schools and students that came from public institutions. And um, students that came fr- with, with, you know, only like one, one supportive parent or both supportive parents or, th- or four supportive parents because of divorce. Yeah. And like, we had people from all walks of life. And I think the biggest growth I saw in that, in your cohort was the solidarity you guys built amongst one another. Yeah. And your ability to, um, like see across those differences and find some similarities that would, that helped you guys get through together. Yeah. That wouldn't, that could have easily divided you had you not been in gap and had you just been a student out of college at any other time, you may not have crossed paths with these people, but as a result, now you have, and I think what I loved about your cohort and watching you after gap and watching you the year after even, it's like, you guys still remain 
like supportive of one another, whether or not you maintain super close friendships. That was never the point. The point was, can we show you and model, can you model for us what it's like to live amongst people that might not think the exact same way you think, or might not have come from the same place you came from, but find the similarities and be able to empathize with their background um, and their, where they're coming from. And you guys did that beautifully. You guys worked hard at building that together. Yeah, definitely. And even though our community didn't really, I call it a community. We didn't really get along all the time. We had conflicts. Oh yeah. Illegal dating, which I was a part of. But <laughs> that was wild. But um, I like that term. <laughs> I always mention it whenever I say we dated, but it wasn't allowed. And it's Romeo and Juliet. People are like, "You're weird." It was. But, I mean, I mean, I think back and we didn't agree with everything. We we all had different political views, which was mm-hmm. really interesting. But we still got along, and we still respected everyone and that's so important now like even with white supremacy I do a lot of work at the Norman Miller Center with white supremacy we're having Arno speak in a couple weeks and Mm -hmm. learning how to speak to someone of a different background of a different culture is so important now because that's how you grow and learn how to respect people and even if you don't agree with them you can still sit in a room with them and enjoy and be friends with them absolutely I I 100% agree. I, yeah. similar to you, as I look around the world today, and, and even now that I'm existing in, in a space that isn't higher ed, which is, which is bizarre for me because yeah. I, do, I grew up in higher ed. I, I <laughs> worked in higher ed my whole life and then I, I changed career paths and now I'm in K through 12. And um, the biggest thing that I've noticed in coming to this world is how infrequently we talk about these tough things around race and around inequalities and around systemic system, like the system itself is broken, like our education system is broken and sort of thinking about these things because at a higher ed level, we talk about them almost on a daily basis. Like let's be real. We did it on a daily basis every day when we were in Gap. And then after Gap, I had the privilege of working at St. Norbert College, which does a phenomenal job exposing Mm -hmm. students to these topics. You have the Norman Miller Center who specifically works to highlight and spotlight these injustices and bring forth the conversation amongst all people to to kind of educate and expand awareness and so i went from that to an environment where it wasn't talked about until george floyd and his and his murder and really the rise of the 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 social consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. And now I'm I'm now existing in a an environment at Greenville Public Schools where it is becoming normal to um, have more courage. They call them courageous conversations, and I sit in them Aww. once a week. It's wonderful. But I love I, that. I I will tell you, I I sometimes have to backtrack and think to myself, I'm at a just I I this is new for other people, whereas it's mm-hmm. it's not for like you and I who have kind of been been just steeping in in a lot of these uncomfortable topics for a long time yeah but I'm really proud of our district for um kind of taking that that leap and and trying their hardest to get people to start to engage and be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and I think we're gonna see progress as a result of that I already feel like we've cracked it open enough to um invite people to the fold and 
um, I'm just, yeah, it's been really, that's been a huge contrast for me though, because for me, I, I just, I think I took it for granted that um, both UW-Green Bay and um, National uh, University of Ireland um, and at St. Norbert, all those institutions I've been to, that like, it was everyday life to address these topics. Yeah. Because that's kind of, and people say it all the time, right? That's the privilege of academia. Yeah. And we kind of exist in this. And I say we still, because I, I still associate so heavily with, um, with my roles, you know, at those institutions. And I just still, we, we kind of get lost in that, that it's not normal. And then now we've kind of realized as society has come to a, an awakening, we've realized, yeah. oh shit, we can't just have these conversations at higher ed. We yeah. have to widen our reach and that's why the norman miller center in our community is i mean mm -hmm. i mean it's unbeatable we are so lucky to have it and to have um the availability of bringing in these phenomenal guest speakers to engage with our wider community um mm -hmm. I, I mean like i would never have known about it had i not gone off i feel like i had to go to the other side of the world <laughs> Yeah. And then come home and realize, oh my gosh, human rights is something that happens at home and yeah. it's happening all the time. Like we can do this work at home. So it's, yeah. it's just, yeah. That I don't know what you asked me now, but that's amazing. <laughs> no, that's okay. I didn't write many questions because I knew we'd kind of go off of it anyway. I never really look at my question sheet ever because I feel like the best conversations are more fluid and mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. But that was actually one of my questions because I wanted to know how your travels actually have shaped your work in your local community because you're so involved in the Green Bay community already. So I was actually really curious about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest and say I, when I left Green Bay to go to Ireland, I, how do I put it next? I had like written off Green Bay. I was like, oh my sayonara, God. I'm out of here. <laughs> I am done with Green Bay. I'm going to Ireland. I don't think I'll ever come home. Um, I was pretty smug. I was pretty dang smug. <laughs> I, thought, I thought this is it. I'm over this place. Wow. Um, and then I came home a little, a little broken and sorry. And, <laughs> and it was because of that brokenness. And my, mm. my really, I think my, maybe not my willingness, but my, like, because of my circumstances and like, I didn't have a job and I had to stay here. Like I couldn't just venture off somewhere else. I had been without a job for almost three years at that point. Like I needed to like wow. stay, stay at home. And, yeah. And, and it was because of the way that this community supported me and embraced me and welcomed me home, even though I felt I had kind of, um, been that like jerky teenager that was like screw you mom I'm headed off and I'm never <laughs> and I had kind of acted a little bit like that to Green Bay I was kind of like this is too small I'm over this um, but when I came back and professors of mine that I had worked with at the university that were my my professors um, asked me if I would come and speak to their classes <gasps> about my time at a refugee camp wow. and speak about the stories that I had heard and um, really uplift the voices of the individuals living in these these um, horrific in, and inhumane situations. They breathed life into me and invested in me in a way that um, I do feel like I have a debt to this community because of. And I I felt more a part of my community here than I think I ever did before. And 
and it drove me to be more active and really be be that um, be that person that's that tried to provoke the change instead of abandoning it and saying like I'm gonna go somewhere else. I really think Green Bay has this opportunity. Like we we can make impacts here. We are a small community, but we are a mighty community. And there is a lot of good things that go on here. Um, and there are people with incredible heart um, and incredible talent. And I really started to see them with fresh eyes when I came home. And I think you can't um, underestimate the power of just like this Midwestern niceness <laughs> um, of just like people truly being very kind. Like, yeah. And and I really, I'm so thankful for that. And, and that was really what drove me to get more involved in my community was this belief of, um, in me from community members that really they, they carried me during a time that I, I really wasn't doing the best um, in my mental health. And um, they really gave me opportunities to um, process the, the own like secondhand trauma that I had experienced through the work I did. Um, and it was because of that that I, I got to the point I'm at today. And so I do always feel like I, I owe it to, to my community to continue to be here and, and make a difference until I feel like I can't anymore. So you're going to keep making a difference. <laughs> I feel like for a long time, <laughs> just because of, you know, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. Do you miss college kids? Cause now <sighs> you're working with little kids. I know. I miss college kids <laughs> so much. Okay, college kids rock. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. The coolest time in anyone's life. You guys get to like explore who you are, who you want to be, what you want to study. Like, I don't know. It's just the coolest time. I miss I miss being on a college campus probably more than anything. I really love that environment. That that feeling, that like vibration of like life and like potential. Um, and anything's possible and like you can learn anything and be anything. I mean, just, there's so much I love about it. And I just like any of you listening that are in college and might be feeling super down because you're, you know, virtual or whatever, like, <laughs> it's, and it's hard, right? It's not yeah. that it's easy, but it is, it is the coolest time in your life to be able to like choose a topic you want to study and write a paper on. And I know that sounds so nerdy, but like, it's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So I miss college for sure. It's not that I don't love the little kids, but I'm not a teacher, so I'm not in front of them. Um, mm -hmm. And now that we're virtual, I work at home the whole day. Um, and that is very lonely. So. Well, you just got a dog. Yeah. Well, you know, he's, he's 11, but I, he's my partner's dog. Who, oh, okay. It's like his childhood dog. So yeah, but he, but he loves me. Don't worry. Like oh, he's my talk. He doesn't love Harry. He loves me. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he keeps me happy. It's the, like, you know. Yeah, I think that's something that's so powerful with you as well, is you have kind of a background in mental health, and that makes you so empathetic, especially when you were in our cohort. When we were having a bad day, you were so caring, and you understood what we were going through because you went through it. And I think that's how I kind of related with you most. I didn't really relate to our other program assistant director I related to you the most because I think you I don't know it's just kind of who you are you're so empathetic and it's so powerful yeah hey I you know I I just try to think like it, it was a hard thing to do it was brave of all of you to embark on that journey um and like we can't we can't 
take that out of the picture. Like whatever was going on, like we had to recognize, like there were so many bigger things. And, um, and I think it's important when you have had people treat you that way, like in my story of these professors that really went out on a limb for me and offered me, you know, help and, and, and opportunities. And I think that that, that helps people invest in other people. Right. And yeah. so, um, it's important to me to know that, you know, that you feel seen and heard because you're important. And I, and I wish that that was like more like common sense or common day. Um, but unfortunately we know that it's not. And so. Well, you're kind of making it more common though, especially in the Green Bay community. I think, I think whenever you take on a project it kind of grows exponentially. Aren't you doing a project about glasses now? in yeah. the school systems oh my god yeah. this is this is a great project let me tell you <laughs> the, the um whole of this school like these all these like first grader second grader third grader all of last year they thought i was an eye doctor uh, which is just so goofy <laughs> but uh yeah so it's been that's been like such an interesting shift in my life so um part of this community schools model is all about holistic um holistic student uh achievement and student growth and really about outreaching to families and outreaching to communities to really strengthen, strengthen the whole system because we know with a strong community and a strong family, students have better success academically. Mm -hmm. um, so part of that is really looking at like, where are the gaps and like, where are the needs? Um, and so we, we started looking and really found that um, at our school, not, not just our school, but, but really at how, what we noticed is that we had a lot of students year to year failing their vision exam that was done by Brown County Health. They'll come in and do a screening um, and these students would fail, meaning that maybe they needed glasses or maybe they just, you know, didn't read the letters right that day, um, but that it was consistent, that year after year, the same kid was failing this eye exam and there was no, there was no catch, right? There was no like, okay, because in a, in a, in a more affluent, um, uh, elementary school or school in general, those parents um, that are maybe middle class or upper middle, middle class have insurance and understand the lay of the land. They understand like, oh, my kid failed this. I got this letter. Oh, I'm going to call and make this appointment. So what we ended up finding is I did some, I did some research into um, the, the lay of the land on optometrists in our area and really came to found, find that it, it is very complicated with our current health um, insurance system to, to figure out where you can send your kid or take yourself to an eye doctor. And then there were all these other catches and all these other complications. So what we did is we developed a school-based um, uh, vision service and it's called I care, or we care, sorry, I care, E-Y-E, I care, we care. I know it's yeah. cute, huh? <laughs> and so we brought optometrists on site to how, and we identified students that had failed that exam more than one or two times. And we brought them to see the optometrist and we got 93 kids screened um, over the course of, we started in October, we were done by March because we got kicked out of school. <laughs> uh, but we, we bought each kid two pairs of glasses so that they had one oh. pair at school and one pair at home. And we were so proud of the work we did. And I was so like, I became the glasses lady because 
of the work I was doing, which was so fun. And I got to help these kids pick out their cute little glasses. And it was so fun for me. Um, And then now we're expanding. We're building that program out and we're actually expanding Mm -hmm. it to other schools. And it's hopefully going to become a district wide program that all our students are going to have access to, which is amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that's what you do. You take a project and you're like, let's go with it. Let's make it grow. And it grows. It can go. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It always seems to grow. I guess. Well, I mean, that's because we only talk about the successes. I mean, I'm trying to think of it. I feel like there's got to be examples. I don't think there's any failures. I don't, I don't know. I haven't heard of There's got to be. There's got to be. I don't know where, but I mean, there is. It's just way fun, way more fun to talk about the successes. Well, um, you're the social entrepreneur, so you're doing it. <laughs> oh, I should brand myself. Definitely. Yes. That's why I tried to make a website. And so here's the whole thing. I made the website the same time you guys made your website. This okay, is from that project. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you didn't know, I completely stocked. Diana has a very nice website, which I will link up on my <laughs> website. Because it's, I was very impressed. It looks really nice. Yeah. You know, I put it together because we asked our GAP students at the end of the semester to, to create a website that kind of talked and shared about their experiences. And so yeah. I had to be the guinea pig to help, you know, understand how to do it. So yeah. I got lucky. And then when I left my job at St. Norbert, they offered me um, my, my, like, what is that called? My URL or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I was able to buy my my website from the college at a very low price. So I was super pumped about it. And you're probably the only person that's ever seen it. So thank you. I Googled you and it popped right up. I was very impressed. That's yeah. Impressive. Yes. But that's kind of what I did with my website, except now my website is full. So I had moved to Spotify. That's why I'm on Spotify now. Oh so, no. Should I be worried? I didn't no, know. No, no. You don't full. have MP3s because oh. mine was full of audio. And so I was a whole thing, but there you go. I'm very sense. grateful that I learned that on Gap, which I learned many other things as well. Mm-hmm. But I don't know; it's crazy what you learn when you experientially learn. <laughs> I know, and everybody should. Like, I mean, you talked a little bit how you went to Spain on your study mm-hmm. abroad, but yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've probably shared this with your listeners. But how how different those experiences really are when people think about studying abroad? I think they imagine that it is experiential learning. And it's a form of it, but it is not the type of learning that we did, which was actually experiential learning with embedded service learning. And I think that that's kind of that, that's the special piece of it is that service learning has to be part of your experiential, um, like the experience of it, because without that, you can make a whole lot of assumptions and you, mm-hmm. you could also go your whole study abroad without ever interacting with the community. People. Yeah. Yeah. Which is something I basically did in Spain because it was hard to branch out in the community when you're not actively engaged. They didn't really have any social programs. If they had a place to volunteer at, I think I would have gained so much more. Mm-hmm. It was, Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. That was, it was, it's a crazy experience. And even just, analyzing what serving is serving communities is because we did a lot of that and like even commercialization of like service in Guatemala we learned about that I mean it's crazy how you can just see I don't know it's it was a crazy experience it was it was a whole thing (laughs) it was and you know what if any hey we should just offer it up Kara if any of your listeners want us to like lead them on (laughs) 
a semester long trip. Like yep. we're open. We'll do it. Yeah. I think we'll be good. We'll be great leaders. Let's do it. <laughs> well, my school, my high school went, to, they were supposed to go to Guatemala this spring break. And I was like, can I be a chaperone? I'll do it. And my Spanish professor never emailed me back. Oh, dang. <laughs> like, oh, come on, I can be a translator. <laughs> oh, you bet I have put my name in any like open situation. Like anytime Bob, um, Robert Pine talks mm-hmm. about the different trips, I'm like, do you need anybody? I will yeah. be there. Yeah. let me come I am trying my artist I mean now everything's yeah. shut down but yeah I've been telling even the study abroad office at St. Norbert I'm like listen you need anybody you call <laughs> I will happily go with students anywhere exactly yeah it's crazy well I think we've been talking for an hour and 10 minutes so I don't want to take up too much of your time but this was an amazing conversation oh I have one final question I ask everyone oh, so wow. if you could go well in the time of COVID it's Pretty prevalent. If you could go anywhere in the world, where would you not go? Where would I not go? Mm-hmm. I mean, right now, we're the spot nobody wants to go to. <laughs> Green Bay, <laughs> we're especially. living in it. Yeah. If it was not, I mean, I don't, I don't really like want to go to like Russia. I mean, <laughs> everyone says that. Do they say that? Like, yeah. They say Russia. I'm a, I'm a little scared as a U.S. citizen. Like. <laughs> I'll be honest, like, I I would really like to see the beautiful country, but I'm like, I don't think now is probably the the right opening. Hmm, good answer. I like it. I had a person on here who, she works for the Packers, and she's about to move to Green Bay, and she said she doesn't want to move to the cold. And I was like, oh, Lord. You're like, you're you're not with the right team. (laughs) We are cool. I was like, Like, good luck. (laughs) But... It's a good question. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, when I think about where I wouldn't want to travel, if I were looking at a map of COVID cases, it would be here. Unfortunately, we are, we just Mm -hmm. experienced one of the highest days of 3000 positive cases today. Yeah. Like I wouldn't want to be here, but unfortunately we're here. Yeah. And it's not too bad. So it's kind of good. It actually, actually, it's a little dystopian, right? It feels a little dystopian sometimes. I'm like, I hear the news, I read the news, I see how bad it is in this city, mm-hmm. but then I go for a walk with my dog, and I'm like, it's I gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> like, today especially, it was a great day. Yeah, I know, it's great. So, yeah. yeah. Well, well, thanks for having me, Kara. Thanks, yeah. for, thanks for inviting me. It's so good to see you. I can't <laughs> believe you're a junior. I can't believe it. So sorry that that ended very abruptly, but that was my conversation with Diana Del Becky. Um, I had a great talk with her and I loved what we had to talk about. So I wanted to bring up a little thing at the end of this. My show is now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So if you liked this episode, I would love for you to leave a review. I am trying to reach as many people as possible. Um, It's just me running the show. So please leave a review. Please tell me what you think of this. Thank you so much. Bye.